watched some of the, like the there's like a is it an FBU film or a Ravens yeah, film? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna just start recording. Okay. Don't don't stop. Let's scoot over a little bit since your mic's right here. You know, we always we always end up doing is we get into these great conversations when people show up. We blow, and yeah. then and then we're like, dude, those were that was all gold, and yeah. it's and then yeah, so. Let's rehash all the things we just talked about. <laughs> Good morning, boys and girls. If you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. And now for the really good news. Run the track! Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Kanoa and Maui, and you're tuned in to the Athletic Supporters Podcast. And today, Maui and I get the great pleasure to sit down and speak with Brandon Huffman from 24-7 Sports. So the lid's off. You're, you're, now, in, you're now in the watching fifth grade football <laughs> game. Uh, Congratulations. I, I, I will never... Can you talk right into the mic? Uh, yeah. Like right here, okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean... You know, it's funny because you have all these. No, I wouldn't say all these. You, you, Jim Harbaugh has been kind of the guy that has made offering, and Lane Kiffin before him, yeah. made offering the eighth graders, the seventh graders, kind of the thing. Um, but as you see, you know, there's the occasional rare <clears throat> athletic freak of nature that will get an offer as a seventh and eighth grader. You know, Najee, or not Najee Harris, uh, Dylan. Uh, Dylan Moses, who's at Alabama, you know, as an eighth grader, he played in Baton Rouge. He had offers from LSU as an eighth grader when Les Miles was the coach. Um, you know, David Sills, who did not get drafted this weekend, despite being an All American receiver, was famous for committing to USC as a seventh grader. Um, right. That you know, guy. but <clears throat> you think about the great players the state of Washington has produced, and just over the last decade, you know, Casey Williams. I think he was offered by Steve Sarkeesian. No, in fact, he was offered by Tyrone Willingham. Yeah, um, we were coached, so I was on that staff, and, and uh, Nate Willingham was on the staff with us. Right. Yeah, and, and I think Jake Heaps had just been offered, and I think that that was right about that time Steve Jervis had just got hired at UW to be the running backs coach. So Kaysen was late in his freshman year of high school when he had the UW offer. Um, Foster Serrell's first offer came from Eastern as a freshman, but you know when you think about the the great players that have come from the state. JT Tuimoa has the earliest known offer from Chris Peterson ever, and it came in September of his freshman year. Right. So even a guy like him who was a no-brainer, right? It still was a freshman. You know, he had three games of freshman or a varsity football as a freshman. And you have a great ever. memory because it's a, it was actually you're right. It was the third game. Yes. And it was funny because at that point he wasn't a starter for me, so he right. was playing the position that I coached. And yeah, he was because I remember the opening game against Gonzaga Pratt. He wasn't in on the first no, series. He wasn't. And I was like, dude, this kid's great. Like, yeah. what are they doing? Well, no, and we now had you know, we had Johnny Nansen up there in the summer, and I'm like, who's Johnny looking at? And I'm like, oh, this kid JT. I'm like, okay, well, he's good. I'm like, I didn't know he's like got that exposure, and it was funny. So I had a, a talk with our kid uh, who was the starter at the time after game three, and I think he picked up U Dub and USC the same weekend. Mm-hmm. And going into that week, I said, hey, so Evan, I go. I'm going to go ahead and start JT this week. Um, and and Evan was really cool about it. And I always remember this. And it was just a great response. And he said, I, you know, I kind of wanted to hug him if he needed to be hugged because he was a junior. Sure. And he knew that he's probably not going to get that position back. Um, and he goes, and I'm like, are you good with that? And he goes, oh, coach, I'm cool with that. And he goes, in fact, it'll be great because I'll be able to tell my kids someday that I started in front of JT. Yeah. <laughs> that was his response. Absolutely. And I just, and I love that answer. And it's like, you know, we have some great kids up there. But Evan, that, that answer was awesome. Well, and, and so I remember about that game against Gonzaga Prep, 
Jordan Powell mm -hmm. and Chris Peterson were both at that game because it was at Husky Stadium. So Washington got their only view of UW and or I'm sorry, of Eastside in the game that that game. And then the next week was when Eastside played Union. And there was like three things I remember about that game. JT was all over the place and he looked more comfortable in his first game playing at home. Mm -hmm. Darian Chase really showed that he was probably going to be the top player in the 2019 class. Yeah. And that was the closest 35 to nothing game I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Union was so You guys couldn't tough. put him away. I know. He still won by five touchdowns. I know. And that was the game that you could see with, like, Lincoln Victor. Like, this kid is he's, a problem for defense. Yeah, he's special. Out. That yeah. was the most talented team I think uh, we've faced in state. Um you know, position by position and just looking at how they matched up with us, we kind of, and, and even going down there um, the first year, um, it was like, you know, you look around and they got a great mix of Polynesian kids that are big mm -hmm. and fast, and the quarterback was a problem. Yeah. I mean, he was a problem. And, and it, it turns out, I mean, who would have thought it would be the preview of the next year, mm -hmm. the best 4A team and the best 3A team. I mean, mm -hmm. that would have been a fun game to watch this year. Right. Because then you could have had the two best teams in the state. And right. You know, I'm not. I'm never gonna make a prediction like I did the year that Bellevue and Skyline should have played, where I thought the Bellevue 2012 team was the best team that I've seen in the state, and yep. probably would have hammered Skyline. Yeah. On paper, Eastside probably beats Union head to head, but and they were more talented, and I think Eastside was clearly the more talented team in the state, but. Lincoln Victor would have still been a problem. As oh, there's good no as doubt. That east side defense was as a defensive coach. I would not. I mean, it's just that, that quarterback. I I hate fast, scrambling, tough quarterbacks mm -hmm. that are strong. So he wasn't just a guy that was fast. He got out of things. He was that guy that like he'd feel the pressure on the backside, and you know, as a coach, you're like he's going to spin, he's going to spin, he's going to spin, and he'd spin. Absolutely. And you tell the guys all week, hey, this is what he's going to do. Make sure you're attacking that upfield shoulder. And uh, and he'd still get around stuff, and so yeah, I. Oof, it, it's tough. one of those games where you have every year. You're like, I want to see what a four A three A champion against each other would look like. Right. And there's years where you're like, it wouldn't be close. It wouldn't be pretty. Either the four A team is that much better, or the three A team is that much better. I think a Union Eastside Catholic game last year would have been an absolute classic. Yeah, and you're right. That Bellevue team, that Bellevue skyline. Um, so we played. Were you at Skyline then, or you? Yeah, I was, and I think, and yeah, I think you're right. I don't know if we would have beat them, and I think the next year, once we lost all of those guys, yeah. and then they scheduled and it. And Bellevue only lost Miles Jack. <laughs> and we're like, and and we had a kid that has just moved up from Naples, Florida, who's at yes. quarterback and Joel still Anderson. learning our stuff. And uh, Anderson, dude. we just weren't the Skyline talent-wise that we were the year before. It was no. just a different team. We ended up grinding it out, and I think we lost to Chico that year in Federal Way in maybe the quarters or the first round. And, um, yeah, that was uh, – <laughs> I'll so, tell you, man. So he just throws out the name Kilton Anderson from Naples, Florida, the transfer to Skyline. Oh. Did oh, you – are, are you? Are, did you take this kind of a job because you're so well suited for it? Like you have to be able to retain so much information to be good at what you do. Yeah, you know, I'm embarrassed to even say this name because I hated my parents for it. But my nickname as a kid was Suey, and it wasn't for a pig. It was because Suey was short for storehouse of useless information, and my parents would call me that because I would just remember little things like. You know, I would I watch Jeopardy and I'm not good because I only know like the important stuff, you know, like sports, none of the other stuff. <laughs> right. But I just retained it. But I, it was kind of like I, my parents laughed that I learned how to read by reading the box scores in, in the newspaper. And you know, I loved reading the newspaper. And I remember my grandpa was a sucker. I loved my my grandpa's like one of my heroes in life. But he was a sucker. If you were a door to door salesman, 
you went to my grandpa's house because he would sell you something or he would buy <laughs> something for you. And so back in the old days when I lived in California, the LA Times would come and they would sell their subscriptions and they would give you this big book, hardcover book of great front pages of the LA Times sports page. And that's where I would learn about, you know, the old UCLA and USC football and basketball teams and the Dodgers and the Rams and even when the Raiders moved because they were on these headlines. And so you just learn those things. And, you know, I, I retain it a lot because I get asked all the time, who are the best players you've ever seen? Right. Who are the best players you ever saw in this state? Who are the biggest busts you've ever seen? Who are the kids that made you look bad because you rated them high and then they didn't produce or you didn't rate high enough and then they did produce? Andre Dillard, thanks a lot. You know, thanks for throwing that two stars in my face. Um, but, you know, you see, so you have that and you remember because people will understand, like, you've been doing this long, a long time. I think it gives you credibility, too, when, when you can rattle off names because people understand, man, he has been doing this a while. I think I was telling you guys the other day, you know, the first year I lived up here uh, was when your brother was playing, uh, was with running back. Yep. And that was the first fall that I lived up here, 2004. Yep. And, you know, you mentioned uh, J.R. Hasty. J.R. Hasty. And John Savannah. And, yep. Yeah, E.J. Savannah. Yep. You know, Jonathan Stewart was yep. in that class. And yep. So when I moved to Washington, it was kind of like, as Washington football started to become a real credible thing on a national scale because that was the fall of the De La Salle yep. lost to Bellevue. Yep. And so I've been there for 15 years, but then I hear people say, oh, well, you know, he's not as good as this guy or that guy. I'm like, well, my context is only 15 years. Right. But I'm like, it's still a pretty wide gap. Well, and I think that covers a lot of stuff because I think the game was so different prior to 15 years totally. ago. Right? I mean, it's like we were, we're really not even apples to apples when you get into, like, the 90s. The yeah, game was played so differently. Like, like pre two thousands, post two thousands. Yeah, I don't know where that that yeah, line of delineation. It's a different is, game. I, yeah. I kind of put it at the year two thousand, not because it was the turn of century, but my wife and I got married in ninety nine. We came up here in the fall of two thousand for Thanksgiving. I saw my first ever high school football game in the state of Washington that fall. My grand, or my grandpa, my father in law, and I went to the Tacoma and we watched O'Day against Lakes, and Lakes's star was Reggie Williams. O'Day had Ty Eriks, mm. who was a fullback on that team, and but Reggie Williams. And at that point, I had just started covering recruiting on the internet um, in the during the fall of '99. So I was tracking Reggie Williams. I think he was, you know, he was focusing like on Washington, UCLA, Michigan. And at the time, I was covering the Pac-10, and so I wanted to see him. And I'm like, man, this guy is a dude. And at that point, my mind was, he's a dude, but you know. The, the fall before, I watched DJ Williams, who's still the best high school football player I've ever seen. Right. right. De La Salle. From De La Salle. Yep. I saw Matt Grudegood on the other sideline at Modern Day. I saw Matt Leinert, who was a high schooler. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Reggie Williams is his dude, but the other 21 guys aren't. I'm used to going watching high school football games where there's one of the, the – um, this weekend I was talking to a coach who uh, – he coaches the Evolution of Boise team. And mm. he played at Boise State, but he played – in Orange County, and he was in the 98 class. And he was talking about the Orange County All-Star game where he played with Deshaun Foster. Okay. And, I mean, the best high school football game I've ever seen was Santa Margarita, Tustin, CIF Championship game, 97. Carson Palmer is the quarterback for Santa Margarita. <laughs> Deshaun Foster is the running back and safety for Tustin. Deshaun was the front runner for the Heisman for most of the 2001 season until he got suspended for the Land Rover gate or the Ford Explorer the next year, Carson Palmer won it so can you imagine going to a high school game and you have the front runner one year and then the winner the yeah. next year yeah and it's crazy i think it was like 59 to 55 palmer threw like five touchdowns and uh, you know there was like 10 to 12 other guys that played college football but yeah. this was in the 90s before you started having the super teams 
so I kept I remember coming up here and watching this game like man Reggie Williams is a freak of nature but like football is okay and right. you know, it, it's it's good but like I'll put the best teams against California against these kids. Oh, for sure. Day. I mean, our, our uncle Hiram used to was on the modern day staff before he ended up at Florida with the uh, or at Utah with Urban Meyer, and then he went to Florida. But he was telling us about. Uh, I think he had Matt Leinart as a senior quarterback and Colt Brennan as yes. a sophomore. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, that's insane. You know, we uh, you talk about like great teams. I mean, in the super teams, I remember when Marquise Lee was a junior. He was primarily known to the safety because Paul Richardson had moved and transferred to Sarah. So Sarah had Robert Woods, Paul Richardson, George Farmer, who many thought was going to be the best of all of them. And Marquise was their fourth receiver and started at safety. They won the state championship. Robert Woods graduates. Paul Richardson graduates. Marquise Lee is still the number two receiver at Sarah. <laughs> and then he wins the Bolitnikoff. You know, wow. and this was a guy who focused on safety because they had so many other right. good receivers. And all four of those guys played in the league. Um, but it, it's crazy. I mean, think about the talent there. Right. But now you're starting to get that in Washington. You're starting to get, and not just the super team, you're getting teams that they have more than one NFL-type guy on their team. Right. And, and it's not just because they're at an Eastside Catholic or a Kennedy or at a Bellevue. It's the football in the state has improved dramatically. Right. Where 15 years ago, I'm like, okay, I see a couple guys that might be dudes. Right. Yeah. Now... You could go down to Stillicum. I mean, Stillicum right. is not a private school. Right. Stillicum is not a big town. And they have arguably the best two-way prospect in the state of Washington in Emeka Egbuka. Right. I only say that because you guys won't let JT play offense at <laughs> Because he'd be the number one tight end of the country. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but no, Emeka's amazing. And, and, to, and at a Stillicum. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? I mean, not known... As and I and props to him for staying and playing it with his guys. Absolutely. I think that's a cool thing. I think it would be real easy for a guy like that to drink the Kool Aid and start moving on to sure. Uh, think about his touches. And, yeah, yeah, right. right. And and being blocked, you know, for by the best guys. And so, uh, not taking any way, anything away from the Silicon line, but I, I think that's cool. I respect guys these days that can do that. Yeah. Uh, even as a coach at a private school. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of some of those outlier anomalies um, that exist just because God put them on this planet to play <laughs> football, um, what do you think is the cause or causes of sort of the rising tide in, in Washington? You know, uh, I'm going to – this might sound like just complete coincidence, but I'm going to say the rise of the Seahawks as a team – Yeah made it okay for parents who are hesitant to let their kids play football at a younger age now play football at a younger age. And, you know, people talk all the time about, and I think we talked about this last week on the phone, you know, football, youth football numbers are dwindling. No, they're not. Youth tackle football numbers might be down from where they were, but youth flag football numbers are at an all-time high. Right. That's still youth football. Parents are still letting their kids play football. Now, there may not be tackle involved but there is still football they're yeah. learning basic fundamentals of you know run plays the pass plays without the blocking without the physical part yeah. um but you combine those numbers more kids are playing football i think now yeah. than ever before but i think in the state of washington you're seeing a correlation around the turn of the decade 2010-11 with carol getting here and the Legion of Boom, and now you got those third and fourth grade kids who are saying, Mom, Dad, I want to be Richard Sherman. I want to be Russell Wilson. I want to be Marshawn Lynch. I want to be Earl Thomas. I want to be Bobby Wagner. I want to play football now. And where parents before were like, you're not playing until you get to high school. You're mm-hmm. too young. They're letting their kids play a little bit younger. 
And now those kids are standing out as a fifth and sixth grader and seventh grader. They're getting down to the FU National Championships and they're competing against the teams from Florida, from California, from Texas, from Georgia. And Washington's realizing we got dudes. There's dudes in this state that can play and they can hang with those kids. And I think as the Seahawks popularity rose, parents couldn't tell their kids no anymore because these kids wanted to play. They're inspired by what they're seeing on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And now they're talking mom and dad, hey, can I just go play? And parents are letting them play. And now you're seeing that talent stand out earlier. You know, you look at some of the warmer weather sports like baseball. You know, Florida, Georgia, Texas, California are always going to be the best in that because just pure numbers, pure demographics. But also, they're playing it year-round. And it's not that the players in California were born with this incredible gift of playing baseball. They're just playing it more. They're getting more reps. So I think now, as these kids in Washington are getting a chance to play more, they're realizing at an earlier age, these kids are good. Because it used to be before... Only the California kids or the Georgia kids or the Texas kids or the Louisiana kids were the ones getting the early offers. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a JT getting an offer three weeks into his high school right, starting yeah. because he's already a known quantity. Right. We wouldn't have known about a JT if he didn't play youth football. And right. he might have played before the Seahawks. He might have played you know, without the Seahawks. But I think there's a correlation there with the rise in football with just more. I'd be interested in seeing numbers in this state for both. You know, my kids have played in the, my son's played in the Auburn Youth Football League, mm-hmm. which is flag football but he's played this since he was in first grade and in i'm all about tackle football he's playing this fall for his middle school team he can't wait to play tackle um and i think that parents just kind of look for that first what's the best gateway to get him if mm-hmm. it's not tackle football but they you know we don't want him to start football as a ninth grader right you're behind you need to have some kind of skill set yeah right but I, I think there's a, a, a correlation between the seahawks football all right, the Seahawks' success and youth football numbers kind of taken off. Yeah, well, and I, I and I think uh, Rob Mason and FBU and Team Seattle has done a great job as well. Um, Rob's really spent you know many years to to build that thing with Eric Medeiros and those mm-hmm. guys. I think guys like Tracy Ford and FSP have done a tremendous job of getting you know visibility and spotlights on these guys, and then having guys like you and 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 Ryland and guys in here that are talking about the guys and. Um, you know, James from Northwest Ballers. I mean, he's a hustler. Hardest working man in the business. Dude, period. And I, I, I love him. And he's he's just a really sweet dude that really... Um, and this isn't even his full-time job. He does that I know. just yeah. as a passion. I know. He's and a, it's like for he's people that... He's an advocate, that, right? He's yeah. Advocate. yeah. Yeah. And so people, when they, when, they, when they kind of throw things his way, negativity his way, is I just, I always defend him because... I'm like that guy is literally sprinting around the field yeah. with his monopod. Snowing, he's drenched in sweat. Dude, he's just an <laughs> awesome incredible. dude. Yeah, and he's standing over there like nice and warm. And right, like, right, and it's like I wish people would really understand. It's like you almost want to like share W twos and be like, hey, dude. So yeah. there's no money, right? You know, in in a lot of what these guys are doing. And I so, met him. It, it must have been six, seven years ago at Eastside Catholic, and and he was just uh, you know really really humble and respectful, just just asking for access. Mm-hmm. And he's still fighting that battle still. with so many people. And if he hasn't proved himself, Kinko won't even now, let him I mean, in. Come on, guys. Like Mount Side's the only school that lets him in there. At Eastside Catholic, we're like, we want our guys to have, to have visibility. Yeah. Like everybody and anyone, all everyone, come. Bring your cameras. Write about them. And I'll never understand why the state governing body at times prohibits coverage from happening. You know, and I know that yeah. a lot of states. You see this in California. You see it in Oregon. You see it in Washington. 
they're not crediting media that only covers recruiting. Right. You know, how dare these guys try to give these kids an opportunity because yeah. the, you know, it's Which be is what the kids want. That's what they're working right. for and, and driving towards. Last I right. checked, each of those state governing bodies, when that kid goes to college and he wins a Heisman Trophy or he is an All-American or he gets drafted, that same governing body is taking credit for his right. success. Right. It's like, well, mm. even though you didn't want anybody to write about it or talk about it, now you're acting like, you know, you care about the coverage. And so yep. James isn't making money. He's not breaking the bank right. doing this. Right. And, but it's just a, it's a passion for him. And right. I think you're right. The, the exposure, I think social media has completely changed the way it has. the yeah. sport's covered. It's um, held a lot of people accountable, too. It has. Yeah, you know. You know, as, as my good friend G. Scott always says, the receipts never expire. The truth, or I got the receipts and the truth never expires. Right. right. Screenshots are forever. That's right. And, and, you know, and I think another thing, too, that I we need to look at as a state to really be able to compete with the Texases and the Californias and the Floridas is, is the sponsorship piece. We can't, I mean, you go down to a game in Texas and it's like the side or the, the whole field is littered with companies that are sponsoring this and you, you need that. I mean, it's like, if you really want to improve the level of play, I think you need to probably look at paying your coaches more than a $4,000 stipend. Um, but because we don't allow any of outside sponsorship from private companies, you know, it's just tough. And I just think it's it's weird to me that when we're John not. Kidna, when he left Lincoln, he goes down to Texas, two or three of his assistants went down there and were paid as full-time assistant coaches. Right. You know, they would. That's they, their they, job. They, yeah, yeah. That's their job to go coach football. Yep. And, man, it's fascinating. You know, I, I do a couple tours of California schools over the course of the year. A lot of it in Central, Central California and the Bay Area. And it's fascinating just even seeing in the state of California because California is a weird state when it comes to high school sports. You have the whole governing body, CIF, mm -hmm. but then you have 10 sections. Right. And it's almost as if the section is far more powerful than the state ever is. Yeah. So there's a different set of rules for the southern section, which is the largest. That's the section I played in. Yep. Um, it's the largest section in the state, but the transfer rules are different in the southern section. But you try that in the North Coast section where De La Salle's played, where uh, some of the bigger Bay Area teams are. You try that in the Sac Joaquin section, which is the Sacramento and northern part of the Central California. You try that in those others, you may lose your entire year. California, you can play for one school for the first five games, and its other section, you might play for another team the second part of the season. Wow. Hmm. Um, because the, the lawyering up that went on and the right. southern section just said, we can't fight it. So you have a state that is kind of unequal and uneven, I will give Washington a lot of credit for that, that it's one governing body. Yeah. But I, I think you you see the problems that you have in a state like California when you don't have one single set of rules. Yeah. But I think one thing that does make California and puts them up on par with Texas and, and Georgia and Florida is the commitment from the schools and the school districts basically saying if the school boosters want to cover that, let them. Why would we turn away when there's a budget crisis constantly mm -hmm. in the public school system and even in the private schools? Why would a, why should a governing body step in and say you can't give your coaches more, you can't give your players more, your program more, mm -hmm. you know, because of our state bylaws? Right. You know, it's the kids are the ones that suffer. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there some uh, kind of changing gears a little bit here? So, are there some colleges that? are more actively recruiting our Washington kids than others out of state. And can tell me who, who is really aggressive right now on Washington. Well, I mean, this isn't going to be welcomed by, for Husky fans, but mm -hmm. Oregon. 
Mm. Oregon, not just in Washington, Oregon just nationally is recruiting. I think that they offer more players than any Pac-12 school in the country. Mm. Um, It's fascinating because I'll tweet about a kid getting an Oregon offer, and the first 10 responses are from Washington fans. (laughs) And, you know, Oregon offers everybody. And and people forget that about eight, nine years ago, when Chip Kelly was at Oregon and Steve Sarkeesian was at Washington, it was completely different. Oregon was very selective in who they offered, very deliberate. Sark was like, cool, is your heart beating? All right, is there a pulse there? Boom. Offer right. from Washington. Right. <laughs> Tons of offers. He would get commitments, and he would get commitments from in-state kids, yeah. and then get a California kid, and that in-state kid was screwed at the end. I mean, right. people remember Sammy Long from Lakes yep. was committed to Washington early on. All of a sudden, Sark had more momentum with some California receivers. Usually, it's the out-of-state kid that gets the shorthand. Sammy Long ended up at Colorado State. Dave Miller was not happy about that. Yeah. But now it's switched. Now it's the... Huskies that are a little bit more deliberate in their offering. Oregon is offering more people. And I think part of that's because Crystal Ball knows that in the state you don't have as much talent. So you've got to be big nationally. Right. But Washington to them is almost a local state. You know, it's almost like being in their own backyard because Seattle's what, four hours north of Eugene, depending right. on how fast you're going. Right. It's still not that far. So they almost look at Washington as an extension of the state of Oregon. So mm-hmm. they figure we offer an opportunity for a kid to get out of state, but he's still driving distance yep, home. Sure. Yep. So Oregon has been really, really active in the state of Washington. You also have a couple coaches on that staff that coached at Washington. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, uh, uh, Keith Hayward was the DB coach under Steve Sarkeesian at Washington. Yep. He's the DB coach now at, Utah, at Oregon. Dante Williams, who was also an assistant under Sark on that Oregon staff. Joe Salavea coached at Washington State for several years. Yep. Ken Wilson was at Washington State. Jim Mastro was at Washington State. So you've got five or six coaches that have ties to the state of Washington. So they're using those ties now, but at Oregon. And Oregon has been a big, bright, shiny object for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Played for two national championships, had a Heisman Trophy winner, had a number two pick. So now you get a guy like Crystal Ball who came from Alabama, who won national championships in Miami. He knows what you have to recruit at the highest level. He coached for Nick Saban. He was the recruiter of the year under Nick Saban. Nobody demands more from their assistant coaches as a recruiter than Nick Saban. So now Mario Cristobal is running things. He's seeing, well, hey, if Saban does it this way and he's won five national championships, why not mirror that? Right. He demands his coaches recruit hard. And so if you're on social media and you see a kid take an unofficial visit to Oregon, you're not just going to see the kid a picture of the kid in an Oregon uniform. You're going to see him with 12 Oregon coaches, eight staffers, the whole family, everybody. Every coach, every person at Oregon gets involved. And so I think they're doing a phenomenal job recruiting nationally, but they're really doing a good job in the state of Washington. Interesting. Um, I think Stanford, you know, and obviously Stanford's a different animal. Right. They are the one school that I think is the kryptonite to Washington. And that goes back several years. That's not just a recent thing. Right. You know, I, I think Chris Peterson, Tyrone Willingham, Steve Sarkeesian lost more key in state targets to Stanford more than anybody. And guys that were UW legacies. Josh Garnett, probably the best lineman the state has produced other than Foster Serrell, who also went to Stanford. Garnett's dad played at Washington. Yep. He goes to Stanford, wins an Outland Trophy, first round draft pick, best lineman of the Pac-12. You don't think he makes a difference for those early Steve, sure. or those late Steve Sarkeesian, early Chris Peterson teams. Foster Serrell, Connor Weddington, David DeCastro. Yep. You know, imagine if Washington in 2008 had signed not just Chris Polk 
but also got David DiCascio in that same class. Yep. Instead, he goes to Stanford. He's Bellevue, right? From Bellevue High yep. School, yeah. And, and, you know, he ends up really kind of being, I think if you look back at Stanford, as good as Josh Garnett was winning the Outland, David DiCascio is right there on the Mount Rushmore with Andrew Luck and Toby Gerhardt as the guy who changed the face of what Stanford was known for. I mean, right. DeCastro was such an animal. So tough. Weapons. Oh, just a monster. Tough guy, yeah. And that's when Stanford kind of had the intellectual brutality. He was kind of the, the face of that. Yep. Those are guys that Washington, in normal years, probably would have gotten. But it is hard to recruit against Stanford when they sell the academics. Mm-hmm. They sell the winning on the field. I mean, they won three Pac-12, four Pac-12 yeah. North titles in the last seven, eight years. They're putting guys in the first round. Right. Everything that Washington has, Stanford has, but then they also have the academics, which we know University of Washington is a fantastic school. Right. But Stanford has this aura to it. Yeah. And so Stanford really picks and chooses who they want to target. And when they target and when they recruit, they are tough to beat. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's tough to compete with because, like you said, you know, uh, we're four hours away from Oregon. They feel like it's an extension of them. Well, Stanford feels like every family that espouses like academics is a high value that they're the home team. Absolutely. Right. And that's that's hard to compete with. Yep. We're all dads. If you had if your son was offered a scholarship to all these different schools in the country and then David Shaw walks in as a kid, you know, you're as a parent, when your son or daughter's young, you're like academics are the most important thing. Do good in school so you can get into the best college that you can get into. We know how hard it is to get into the Ivy League. We know how hard it is to get to Stanford. Right. Now Stanford's sitting in my room telling yeah. me, not only is your son going to get into our school, you don't have to pay a cent. Right. I'm like, this is the shortest conversation my son and I are ever going to have. Yeah. Right. They're going to Stanford. <laughs> I mean, as a dad, it's right. like, how do you say no to that? And, you know, it's not like they're going to go to Stanford and be 0-12 every year. Right. They're going to go win. In a bad year, they're winning nine games and yep. going to the yep. Sun Bowl. Yep. In a good year, they're winning the Pac-12 North. Yep. Maybe playing and winning a Rose Bowl. So it, it's you're right. I mean, it, it is the home team. It's the one they recruit so well nationally. It's, it's almost an anomaly. Last year, they signed four players from the Bay Area. That was almost an anomaly, anomaly for Stanford to have that many kids in the Bay Area because they recruit as if they're Notre Dame, as if they're – Duke basketball, where yeah. there are no no borders on the Stanford program, they are a national program. Yeah, where do you uh, where do you think this uh, twenty twenty class ranks up in the last you know since you've been in Washington? And I I didn't want to ask boring kind of canned questions because I think you've probably been asked this a hundred times, so you've got to answer probably chambered. But I'm curious. So that's the first part is where does this class st- stack, and and who in this class do you think has the best chance to play and have and impact the team early? You know, I get this question a lot because we hear a lot about how the 2021 class is great. I think the top, the 2021 class has the best top three that this state's ever produced. But the 2020 class right now, I, I did a count the other day. I think there's over 50 players with an FCS or FBS offer already. Mm-hmm. I think we're at about 24 players that have a Power 5 offer wow. in the state. That's so you crazy. got guys in the top 25 and the lower end of the top 25 that have a Pac-12 offer. That's crazy. It is, And, and that's just the guys that have emerged right now. Mm-hmm. You know, that could change in six weeks from now when the evaluation period's over. And now you get down, you know, if you're a coach and you got a guy like Caden Steven, who's the left tackle at Canvas, who has seven Pac-12 offers. But there's two other pretty good linemen on that team, Rush Reimer and Tristan Souza. Now you get another O-line coach is coming here to look at them. That could add to them. You know, mm-hmm. east side, you got a guy like D'Angelo who's been at 
four or five camps this offseason. Yep. Been fantastic. Shout out D'Lo. D'Lo, was, he was the O-line MVP at the Avistron Showcase this weekend. Yep. He was a Final Five finalist at the Polynesian Bowl Combine. He was on the All-Combine team at the Army Bowl. His biggest offer is Air Force. Now, he's got an FBS offer, but is it crazy to think he and you know him and Jason Medeiros may be the two best offensive linemen on that team last year? Right. You know, Jason Medeiros is going to Air Force, so he's an FBS kid. Mm-hmm. But D'Lo, when you look at what he's done... He, being the best lineman, in my opinion, on the best team in the state, that's a Pac-12-level kid. Yep. So as coaches come through and spring ball really gets cracking, when those coaches come to see DJ Rogers and Sam Adams and they see Aiden Hector, if they get a chance to see D'Lo, his recruitment could take off. So now yeah. you're adding more Pac-12-type players to the mix. So we're at May 1st in 2019. So we got seven months until signing day, nine months until the second signing day. And we've already got that many guys in the state. It's the deepest group I've ever seen. Yep. The top-end talent is great. But what separates classes for me is you have some years where you have great top-end talent, but no depth. Other years, you have depth, but no top-end talent. This year, with Savelle, with, with G, with Aiden, with Sam, you know, you've got dudes. Yeah. And then you've got the depth. So as far as the guys I think can make the biggest impact early, you know, I, I think, G. Scott, you look at the draft. Yeah. Ohio State receivers get drafted. I saw a stat yeah. yesterday on Twitter. You know, he's a receiver, but I saw that Ohio State has had every DB that has started for them since like 2011 get drafted. But you look at receivers, they're getting a ton of receivers drafted. Yeah. Paris Campbell got, or Paris, uh, Paris Campbell was drafted. Uh, Terry McLaurin was drafted. Mike Thomas is a top three receiver in the NFL. Right. Mike Thomas was a gray shirt offer out of Oregon State, and the only reason he got that offer is because Mike Riley was the head coach. Keyshawn Johnson's his uncle, got him a gray shirt because Riley was Keyshawn's offense coordinator. He goes to Hargrave Military Academy to try to get anything. Urban Meyer goes to watch Cardale Jones, offers Mike Thomas. He ends up turning around the Sugar Bowl for Ohio State to beat Alabama, and now he's a top three receiver in the NFL. That player development at Ohio State Mm -hmm. was key for Mike Thomas. So now you take a guy like G, who's very technically sound, probably the most technically sound player at his position in the 2020 class. Yep. And he's going to now go to Ohio State, play for Brian Hartline, play for Ryan Day, who loves to throw the ball. I think he's in the best position because he's playing a position that if you're in the lineup, if you're in the rotation, you're playing at the next level. Right. There, there's certain schools. If you're a defensive back at Alabama, you're going to the NFL. For sure. If you're a receiver at Ohio State, you're going to the NFL. Yep. But you're also going to have a chance to make an impact. I, I think, obviously, Savelle, depending on where he goes, right. um, makes an impact. I, I think Sam Adams, fantastic two-way player. To me, Sam Adams is an NFL safety. <laughs> um, unless he grows in the NFL outside linebacker. But yeah. I, you know, if we were in the South, we wouldn't even be talking about Sam Adams, the running back. Mm-hmm. He would 1,000% be just playing defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of upside there for him. I think his best football is ahead of him. You yeah. Know, this last year was his coming out party. You've seen yeah. it oh, yeah. for a couple of years. He's he's a stud. And I'll tell you, he's, we talked about this the other day. He's a great tackler. And tackling is something that's hard to, to really teach, uh, especially guys to do it as effectively as he does and. Yeah, I agree. I and mean, I'll tell you, he's gonna play. He's gonna play a lot of defense for us this year. Yeah. I, mean, I, I know you don't give stars for character, but as we talked about last week, you know, with this this thing that we're kicking off with the IFL, um, trying to uh, to really infuse character based coaching with young athletes. You follow and interview so many guys mm-hmm. around here, right? The best of the best. 
What are some of your insights about, um, you know, just the interaction that you've had with, with folks like that? What are some things that they share in common, the best of the best? I think it's a, it's a confidence. It's not a cockiness. It's a confidence that I'm the best player on the field. And it's not taking it to Twitter to say that. It's taking it to the field on Friday night and backing it up with your play. And I've seen some very talented players in this state, but they didn't have that it factor. They didn't have that confidence to them. And their career kind of played out that way. Like, you had the tools, but you just never quite took it to the next level. Or the opposite. They were cocky, and they had talent, but they were cocky. Didn't want to, They played for the name on the back of the jersey rather than the front of the jersey. Got to college, and their teammates wanted to beat them up with a helmet. Um, because they didn't have that dude, that leadership quality. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of kids in this state that are kind of the quiet assassin types. And they get out in the field. They don't say a whole lot. But when they play, you know, Sam Adams is the perfect example. Sure. Sam doesn't talk. I mean, nope. he is a quiet kid. But he's making play after play after play. He's never going to be the guy that goes on Twitter and says, I'm the best player in the state. I'm the best player in the country. You'll never see that from him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But you'll see that from him on Friday night when he's playing. And so it's, but it's that quiet confidence. I know what I can do. I just don't need to tell the whole world about it. I let my play do the talking. And, and I look at the guys in these last few years that the state has produced. You know, Miles Jack was never on Twitter. He didn't even get a Twitter, I think, until like his freshman year in college. But he got to UCLA and was awesome. Buda Baker, I will still say in my 15 years of living in Washington, he may not have been the best long-term prospect, but Buddha is still the best high school football player I've watched because much like a Sam Adams or Savon Ahmed or Connor Wennington, what they did, when Buddha touched the ball or when Buddha was around the ball, something incredible would happen yeah. every single time. I mean, going back to the year when he was a sophomore, you had Tyler Hasty on that team. You had, um, oh, the offensive lineman, I'm forgetting, who ended up starting, Jake Eldrincamp. Um, Miles Jack, Sean my, Cousins. Uh, my ex-wife's cousin is Jake Elgin Camp. Yeah. Stud, you know, Yo, stud. Great, player. super smart, super smart, extremely smart. I, Ivy school, like Ivy League. Yeah, smart. And Buddha as a sophomore returning 99 yard kickoffs. You're just like this kid is electric. Buddha would never go on Twitter and talk trash, but Buddha on Friday night would make plays, and then that same Buddha in college would get out and make plays. And now we're seeing him as a Pro Bowler in the NFL. Yep, just. There was something different about the way Buddha was wired. Where, and, and it's funny because a lot of times it's the younger, or the, the smaller guys that have a little bit more chihuahua yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll go on Twitter and talk yeah. the trash. <clears throat> Buddha is not the biggest guy in the world. Right. right. But he, he reminds looks me, the part. we were talking the other day he about. He looks the part of someone that would be, you know, just, just firing people. Yeah, like a jaw jacker, but yeah. he's not. So he yeah. reminded me of, and I remember the first time I saw Buddha play was Chris Cash, who mm-hmm. I played with, who ended up playing yeah, at played USC and then played for the Lions. And he was the same type of guy extremely tough way above and beyond what his size kind of you would assume and he was a great tackler yes and again that goes back to the sam adams thing it's like the great tacklers that are that athletic and you know they've got that gator roll tackle but they can also finish with some power and that's what buddha was and buddha ran through people he did he was so tough you know imagine a backfield of him and miles jack (laughs) and yet they were like the second and third leading runners because of that offense right buddha's the kind of player that if bellevue had to play against a player like buddha each week they would, he would have figured out that wing T offense within like the second or third play because instincts, the way he just yeah. read plays. I mean, Buddha to me is, you know, I moved up here in 2004. So when Jonathan Stewart was a senior, I've seen Kaysen Williams. I've seen the Austin Safarian Jenkins, Savelles, JT. 
I and JT is is starting to get into that territory where he's approaching Buddha, hasn't quite passed him. By the time his high school career is done, I expect him to, because he's Buddha, but now 6'5", 275 right. doing it. <laughs> but Buddha is kind of like to me the standard. Yeah. And what Buddha had, and this goes back to your initial question, was he just had that confidence to him that doubt my size, watch what I do to you on Friday night. And now it's watch what I do to you on Sundays. And he's doing it. It's crazy. So crazy. Man, it, it, being in the media, it's just, uh, it's a, a ever evolving world and landscape that you live in. You know, we're talking about Twitter and stuff. How, how does, uh, how has the the impact of social media changed the way you look at, at your job and how you operate? You know, it's it's a double-edged sword. Um, it used to be, you guys are old enough to remember back in the day, if you were a dude, your coach would make you a highlight VHS tape. Oh, yeah. yeah. But only if you were a dude. Because it, it took a lot it of took time. forever. Yeah. And that coach would be like, God, if I had two kids on my team, now i got to go through all these games right. and tape. Writing, writing time stamps down yes. on the <laughs> And then have to go make sure the VCRs are both working. Oh, then DVD man. came along and it was like, okay, this is still not easy. But now i got to burn the DVD, put a sticker on it. But you were still, you had to be a dude. Yep. Now everybody's got a huddle. Yeah. Middle schoolers have a huddle. Crazy. Fifth graders have a huddle. Yeah. Everybody thinks with the huddle... I'm a Division One football prospect. Right. Hey, please take a look at my film. And one thing that that I'll say, I mean, this is one of the things I pride myself in. If you send me your huddle, I'm going to watch it. You know, I, I will watch, and I've watched some bad huddle. <laughs> I've watched some bad <laughs> football where I'm like, we won't they, name names. Yeah, we we, we probably know who you, you are. Who you are. I'm like, did you, you spot shadow the wrong person? Because <laughs> the person you spot shadow is not making plays. <laughs> I, I watched the film. Two weeks ago, from a receiver, the first two and a half minutes were him blocking downfield. He had four receptions on the year. Just a heck of a stock block. Oh, like he's like, even that it was like still average. It was like you know, you, your guy still made the tackle downfield. Like, and then that one you held. Yeah, right. But I'm like, you're a receiver. Like even if you only have four receptions, put the first friggin' four receptions right. you had at the beginning of the film. Right. I'm not looking for a blocker. I'm looking for a receiver. Right. And then the end zone angle. And, and, the, and then the side. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what it is. It's right. three of the same angle. I'm right. like, that's great. You can block from all three angles. Right. Can you catch? <laughs> so I get some bad huddle. Um, but I will watch everybody's huddle because you'll get the occasional one where you're like, hey, this kid can play. Yeah. And, you know, he might be playing in the middle of nowhere. might play in the middle of the state. At a state, at a school that only Ryland would go and watch a game at on a Friday <laughs> night, and you're like, "Hey, this this kid can play," but social media has made the access that much easier. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be that I would call a kid once a month. Hey, what's the latest in your recruitment? Oh, in the last month, I've gotten offers from this school, this school, this school, and this school. Now it's real time. Yeah, I'll see a kid's offer within yeah. five seconds of him tweeting it, yeah. and then boom, it's on his profile. Yep, and there's kids that are tweeting everything. Oh, blessed to get invited to this junior day. Um, blessed to have this school invite me to their camp. I mean, right. everything is coming. And so it's almost information overload. Totally. Like, okay, that's great. That's great you got invited to the camp. I still need to worry about who's actually recruiting you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's changed everything because everything's a photo op. And, you know, it's funny. Because kind of the, the hot button issue right now is... Kids taking unofficial visits to schools that they never have. 
a chance of going to and right. doing a photo shoot. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of detractors that it's terrible that these kids are going to Oregon or going to Washington or going to Stanford when they have no chance of getting in or playing there and right. taking pictures. And I don't care that these kids take pictures. And I get people that are like, well, does that bother you? Mike? No. I mean, if the kid wants to go do it, that's great. If the right. coaches want to let them, I mean, the coaches are the ones that have to, you know, break it to the kids. We're not recruiting you, but sure, right. go ahead, take your picture and put it on Instagram. Right. Um, but then you also have some kids that literally will go to a school and the first thing is say, hey, can I do that photo shoot? Where it's like, they don't even like the school. They just want the photo shoot. They want the Twitter followers. There's a yeah. recruit in the state of Washington right now. And I won't name his name, but I mean, this kid has manufactured himself into quite a following by taking visits. He's even, you know, he's not even the third player at his position at his school, which has not had a great run. Right. But he's at every school's unofficial junior day or on their unofficial <laughs> visit in the gear asking where his followers are at from that certain fan base. And I'm like, oh, honey, that, that's just not happening. <laughs> oh, so there's, there's almost so much access, but it, it becomes a dog and pony show on Twitter a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for me, it's great because now I can have a, write a story on a kid visiting Oregon, and I got a picture of him in an Oregon uniform. That picture looks awesome right. with my story. Right. But the, the downside to it is is that there's a real blurred line now between the reality of what your recruitment is mm-hmm. and what the fantasy of your recruitment is. And people blame us. I'm like, don't blame me. I'm not the one right. that's doing it. Right. The coaches, the millionaires, right. they're the ones that are checking the box. Saying, yeah, go ahead. Go take that photo shoot. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to offer you even though we have no chance at you. Right. But we know you're going to tweet it and that's going to be great for our school. There, there was a kid a few years ago, Joe Mixon, starting running back for the oh, Cincinnati yeah. Yeah. Bengals. Yep. 50 plus offers and down the stretch when it got close to signing day he was getting offered from like mountain west schools and uh at that point i think it was like conference usa i mean the kid was down to like oklahoma and you know usc and cal but you have like mountain west schools offering him and i'm like hitting him up like do you really think you're gonna get him like nah but he's got a huge twitter following and that's gonna look good so now the kid from you know this city that we're recruiting thinks man they're recruiting Joe Mixon, so this offer actually means something because wow. they're offering. So the coaches play into the game. Too. That's crazy. Well, and it's funny just talking about huddle too. I I know uh, James reached out to me uh, from Northwest Ballers a couple weeks ago, and he said, "Hey, does JT have a huddle?" And I don't think up until a couple weeks ago, JT Tuimolo even had a huddle. Like, I mean, all the film of him I've used for <laughs> for like stories has been James's mixtape he made of him and Julius Pepper. Right. <laughs> There's so many things that you don't need to worry about if you're six five, yeah. two seventy five, yeah, and run like a freaking deer. <laughs> you know, I told you the story about how he's excited for May 10th because yeah. that's when he turned sixteen, yeah. and his mom, which is you know the the Polynesian culture, the mom is. Uh, uh, somebody you don't mess she's with. the and, law. Hey, I've met yeah, you. and she said, yeah, you're not lifting weights until you're, so, you know, we'll be in our workouts and uh, JT's in the corner doing bands, <laughs> you know, and you got uh, Lopi and D'Lo and those guys squatting 600 pounds and, you know. Hey, Metro League, uh, he's lifting weights this off season. So, yeah, yeah, I know, so right? This fall. Yeah, guys, he thought he was a problem the last two years. <laughs> right. I, I think I was telling you guys this the other day that uh, when we had our conversation, we were updating our 2021 player rankings our top two four seven usually in the years past we have conversations about who our number one guy is like oh is he still the number one guy when we had our initial list we were like okay who's our number two guy like it was a no-brainer not even a question like no. we already know who number one is and yeah barton simmons who's our director of scouting has essentially said like it's going to take a miracle for him to fall but knowing that the guys never lifted weights like we haven't even seen the best of jt crazy for 
these past two years, and he's been the best player in the country right. in his respective age group. Right. So, and you know, and what's JT going to be like when he doesn't play off-season basketball? I know. When he spends an entire season just playing football. Right, because yeah. he's a hard worker. So, I mean, when he has the time to go in and do that, it's going to be – I mean, he could be three ten and athletic. Absolutely. That's I mean, that's very feasible. I, I get crap from people all the time for having my player comp for him being Vitave. Like, well, Vitave is three thirty, three forty. I'm like, yeah, but Vitave as a senior was two seventy playing running back at Milpitas High School, right. and yeah. look how athletic he was at Washington. You know, yeah. you yeah. never able to tell how heavy he was right. because of how well he moved. Now you take somebody who's even more athletic at the same stage, who projects to be bigger, right? But has that basketball athleticism. And, and I think that's what makes JT so unique is he's not a guy who plays basketball for fun. He's a good basketball player. He's a really good sure. basketball player. But he's player. not a guy who just wants to bang down low. He's like, no. come guard me up here at the, no. at the elbow. He's got handles. Yeah. He shoots threes. He He's a, I mean, the Julius Peppers comparison might be unfair to JT because Julius Peppers just wanted to bang, well, bang down low yeah. and, and block mm-hmm. shots. Right. JT's like, Come guard me out here. Yes. Well, and JT, that mix that Northwest Ballers did, which was great, by the way, JT was as big as Julius Peppers is in that video. You look at him side by yeah. side, you're like, it was scary. Yeah. The number one overall pick who's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, you know, so when you're comparing a kid to somebody, you know, and like I said, my player constitutive A, not Julius Peppers yet. But when you're comparing somebody like that, you know, you got to be willing to, to put your money where your mouth is on a thing like that. And so I've talked to some of the high school coaches in this state and, not East Side, you know. East Side player coaches all think JT's great, but you guys are sure like, well, we need him to work on this and that. You talk to coaches outside of East Side, and they're just like, I mean, JT is special. Like, yeah. to them, it's like JT lends credibility to the state of Washington, and we haven't even seen the best football from him mm-hmm. because that's usually your junior and senior year. Like, that's how. Spe- I mean, I, I hate waxing poetic about a player like I did with him, and I hate putting the high expectations. But if you want to be treated to what a dominant, no doubt about it, future NFL star, not future NFL player, star looks like, watch an Eastside Catholic game these next two years and just fix your eyes watching DTB. Because it's not even so much what he does physically. It's just the mental side of his game. Like, he doesn't get rattled. Right. You know, when you're a D-lineman, when you're a linebacker, you're getting cut, you're getting chop block, whatever. And... It's funny how nobody can see to do that to him. No, I know. He's well, so and, athletic and everyone and on our team just walks taller with JT. It's just a you know he has such a just a huge effect on everybody, and and he reminds me a lot of. I mean, it, he's hard. He's a hard guy not to root for because he's such a great kid, mm-hmm. and I, he reminds me of Max Brown in that way because Max Brown was a guy that it's like he was so good and put up such amazing numbers. But I remember one time we were traveling, uh, we were playing. I think we were playing in Utah. Uh, Cottonwood High School, a kid that uh, they had a kid, a quarterback that was going to Alabama, yep. and so it was on ESPN. Cooper Bain. And I remember we were just eating breakfast that morning, and I think Max, Max was just at Showing some off. table eating with you know some sophomore player that wasn't a starter. You know, that's who we were sitting there eating breakfast with, and it's like to me, it's like what an amazing leader to just, you know, nobody was. You know, he wasn't too cool for anyone. Yeah. He was willing to sit down and just have a conversation with, you know, the most average of people and players, and. Um, and now he's with Gary Vee. Yeah. You see that? Yes. Yeah, which is great for him. And be able to tell his story on such a large platform. I love it. When, when you, you know, going back to, to JT, too, like, you know, here's a guy who is playing seven-on-seven seven this offseason at a position he's not going to play in college. He's playing tight. He could be. He'd be the best tight end in the country. Crazy. But I, I've always felt like when 
the Florida schools, the California schools, the tech, the players from there, where they think football is only played in that state. When they see a guy like him do what he's doing, they're just like, God damn, that guy. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's the number one player. Okay, yeah. I mean, usually the number one player has his detractors and haters. The peers of JT are like, dude, that guy. I mean, that's unfair what he can do. And right. these are guys that are highly rated players that are, right. you don't really like, oh, he ain't that good. I could take, they're all looking at JT yeah. and like, yeah. This, and he, you know, you'll have some guys that will try to hit him up high when he's playing seven right. on. He'll just score a touchdown, won't say anything, just kind of look at you, and the ball, throw the ball back. And yeah. it's like, in this day and age where there's a lot of trash talking, look at me, JT, just like, oh, I just scored on you. So what exactly were yeah. you saying to me? What exactly were you trying to do? Yeah. Here's a yeah. touchdown, just give you a little look, right. ball back. Right. It's, it's like irrefutable. Yeah. He, yeah. he could throw the ball 70 yards with a tight spiral. I mean, I, he, he, there's not a lot he can't do. JT, uh, got a better arm than DJ on the lily. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not say that about your son. DJ. Yeah, and so I don't, the best I don't think we want to play Bosco. We don't, we don't want to have uh, have to prove that. Um, well, I think uh, we got to get uh, Brandon to you meet with got the wife. wifey. Yeah, but I got, yeah. I still got a few minutes. Okay, cool. We appreciate. Hey, you so uh, doing this tell me, tell me some. Uh, g- give me your kind of top nightmare story of a parent. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sure you've got a bunch. I've got so many. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> um, it usually almost always involves the father of a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes it's been the father of a quarterback who's played in the NFL. Yep. Um, and it happens in every state. There's yeah. a dad that was a quarterback. Um, but, you know, I remember getting grief from the now general manager, or I guess president of the Denver Broncos, back in the 2007 class when I had a kid named Jack Elway as a low-ranked number three, a three-star quarterback out of Colorado, and got an email from this young man's father, (laughs) who I'll let you guys figure out who he was. I played in the NFL. I won Super Bowls. I'm like, dude, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. Trust me. I know you played in the <laughs> yeah. NFL. I watched what you did. Lost a few Super Bowls, too. He did. You know, and just because you beat the Browns doesn't mean you were winning the Super Bowls. So that's what you get. But my son's better than this. He's rated too low. Jack Elway quit football after a year at Arizona State. Uh, point for Brandon. Um, two years after that, three years after that, my dad, who was the vice president at Oaks Christian, sends me a text message saying, hey, our quarterback's dad thinks you have him rated too low. That quarterback was a young man by the name of Nick Montana. Yeah. Who went to Washington. Left Washington, went to Ajuco, went to Tulane, and was last seen throwing a couple pick sixes in a ball game and never started again at Tulane. You have him rated too... He says you have him rated too low. I said, Dad, trust me, I have him rated too high. And I remember going... And I can't remember what radio station I said it on, but it was on signing day... Like, you know, are there any guys that maybe, you know, were probably a little bit higher? And I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to greatly regret rating Nick Montana ahead of Sean Mannion. Mm. And at that time, <laughs> I remember getting a lot of grief because Husky fans were super excited about Nick Montana. Sean Mannion had one Pac-12 offer, and it was Oregon State. And until Luke Falk broke his record, I think Sean Mannion was the leading passer. Or he had some record in the Pac-12, and I had him as a high three-star. And I remember I knew his uncle. And it was within a week after signing day, I said, you know what? I'm going to regret that one. I, I didn't have the guts to move Sean ahead of Nick, and I, I'm going to regret it. And sure enough, I regret it. Yeah. Um, but the all-timer, 
there's a there was a quarterback from LA. The kid was a very average high school player. And it was the year of the very first seven on seven tournament in Vegas. And this dad sends me an email saying, Keep an eye on my son. I want him to be, you know, I think he's the best quarterback at this event. You know, keep an eye on him. I'm a private quarterback coach and I've been working with him and you know, at that point, I think Dane Christ had just graduated from Notre Dame High School and was going to the University of Notre Dame. Jimmy Clausen was the year before that, and he was saying, you know, he's better than Chris, he's better than Clausen. And this was still kind of the peak of Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame, and he was coming into California and taking these kids out of L.A. when Pete Carroll had it going. He's like, I think he's better than both these guys. And, you know, watch him. And then he sends me like three more emails. Hey, you know, I just want to make sure you keep an eye on my son. He's better than all these guys, blah, blah, blah. I was telling you guys the other day about that seven-on-seven team that had Levine, Toilolo, mm-hmm. and Zach Ertz, mm-hmm. and Sierra mm-hmm. Wood. Cody Vaz was their main quarterback, but this other kid was on that same team. He, I think, took about four reps over the course of the day because he could not play. That Monday, I got an email from an email address that I didn't recognize, and but it spelled everything the same. Hey, you know, we're with this Quarterbacks of America media group, and we saw this young man play quarterback the other day. And we wanted to know what you think about him. And I said, oh, you know, I didn't really pay attention to him. Well, when then he replied, it replied, bounced back to the previous email address (laughs) that he sent me from on Monday. And he said, oh, well, he was really good. And I said, well, it looks like you actually did know who he was because your email address matches. (laughs) And I I, I started getting like harassing phone calls from this guy. Because I basically said, your son can't play. Right. And he didn't. He didn't get recruited. He was making up where his recruitment was going. He said he signed with, like, Houston. And a couple of years ago, I, I was bored one day, so I Googled him. And the dad's, like, mixed up in all the... I'm not saying his name for right. obvious reasons. But the dad was mixed up in lawsuits with his own children. Oh, and geez. I'm just like, dude, I called it. That guy was an absolute oh. But that just kind of gives you an insight into ugly. how some quarterback dads can be. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, they, it's, it's funny because if you write anything critical about their son where you say, Oh, you know, he's got some things to work on. They will come down on you, but boy, will they rip and destroy other kids that are threats to their own. Oh, kid. sure. And, and, and so my longstanding policy has been, and there was a coach in, in fact, there was a coach in Washington sent me an email about three years ago. And I wrote an article about Benny Patoye. Mm-hmm. who was, I think, going into his third year as a starting outside backer yep. at the Buck position of Washington. Yeah. Was, you know, a great player. His brother, Sione, played yep. at Washington as well. Yep. And Benning was an All-American. And I wrote an article about just him. And I get this email from this coach saying, oh, well, I saw you write this article about him. Why don't you ask him about when he got his ass kicked by this player <laughs> or when he got rung up. Sorry for using that word. That's about the second possession. That, that's exactly what it was. Oh, and he got hit gosh. by this guy. And, you know, he signed it as the recruiting coordinator for that school. And so I replied back. I said, hey, coach, I sure hope when you're telling college coaches about your player that you're not commanding them combatively and criticizing who else they're recruiting for not recruiting your kid. And I hope you're a lot nicer when you're talking to college coaches because the way he came off to me makes me not want to write about that kid. Right. Well, that kid ended up signing with a Pac-12 school and was gone from a Pac-12 school and is now at a big sky school where he's played lightly these last couple of years. Meanwhile, Benning is going into, again, third year of starting on a team that's played in three straight New Year's Day Bowls. Mm-hmm. Um, He's fine. Point Huffman. Yeah, uh, totally. But, you know, even the coaches aren't immune to it. And, right. And, and that's what's the bummer, is that you get it with parents. Parents, as a general rule, tend to be delusional. Right, but coaches? But, but coaches. That's weird. Yeah. You know, that's it's weird. It's like, hey, this is a state that should be fighting for 
as much respect and you know love as it can get and now you're you're ripping a kid and the thing about benning you know and i don't know how much you guys time you guys spent with him Benning looked intimidating as an eighth grader. Dude, oh, yeah. oh, no, yeah. I was at, so I coached at Gesser's camp yeah. when yeah. he was there. Yes, yeah. what did he say? And I'm like, who is this kid? He got <laughs> and he was, and he's like, I was stealing yeah. his brother. And he was a freak. He was an eighth grader. I remember exactly that. He looked camp. a lot like JT. Oddly, he, he at did. That, at yeah, that age. He did. He, he did. Yep. And he was an eighth grader. I remember Corey Fuavai, or Corey English at mm-hmm. the time, was went to Washington. He mm-hmm. played at Auburn, was playing tackle. And Corey was good. I mean, he was a scholarship player in Washington. But he had to line up against Benning, and Benning just looked, he was like JT. He looked different as a yeah. fifth grader. And Benning might have been the nicest, sweetest, quietest kid. He would win the rep, and he would, like, giggle, like, right. was I supposed to do that? Like, yeah. he was almost embarrassed he won so emphatically. And, and I remember <laughs> going to his press conference when he announced for Washington, and, like, you could see he was just so nervous. I'm like, you're committed to the hometown school. Usually you're nervous when you're not committed to the yeah, hometown right, school. Yeah, right, right. And... But I remember he did like the one thing, he wore like a UCLA hat to school that day because it was down to the <laughs> And Dave Miller said, you know, that's about as obnoxious as, as Benning will ever be like, wearing that hat because yeah. he just, he was such a quiet, nice kid. And so I always think about that coach and just ripping him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, so your player tackled him. You, you, right. Your player tackled him when he was playing tight end. Which he's not even a tight end, right? Right. But you, you just even the coaches aren't. Well, and it's weird as a coach. When I I've always really tried to be honest with college coaches because I think you, there's you need to keep some integrity in what you're. I mean, if you just go and you try to oversell every kid just to get every kid everywhere, they're going to stop coming to you. Mm-hmm. Call it. I mean, so you just you've got to you've got to. There's a fine line between promoting your kid and being honest and and truthful Absolutely. about what you got and and you know what self. Awareness is sometimes a difficult thing, right? And you have 15 D1 kids. Why did you win two games last year? Right, right. And at the same time, then you have the schools where it's like, you really do have 15 Division One guys. Can you please like tell us about number 11 through 15? We already know about the top 10. Right. You know, I'll I'll go to some schools. I was at Folsom High School. You know, great program. Jake Browning started there. Yep. Uh, Jonah Williams was the first tackle picked. Um, from our first player from California picked went to Folsom. And Chris Richardson, the head coach there, who's now at Sac State, yep. I'm like, Coach, I know you got more dudes than this. You guys don't win state championships with just these guys. Like, all right, I got, I got this D-end who was a basketball player. And, you know, I'm not ready to, to say he's a dude just yet, but I just want to show you something. And then he shows me a picture of this D-end doing a tomahawk dunk where he puts the ball through his legs. I'm like, okay, you got any football film? He was like, I got a couple clips. And he shows me, and I'm like, how in the world did you not think to tell me? Like, well, you know, like, he just... He hasn't done anything yet on Friday night to prove it. I'm like, this was taken on a Friday night, right? It's like, yeah. It's like, uh, coach, he's a dude. Yeah. His name is Deshaun Lynch. He's a four-star DN in this class. Tennessee's off. He's got SEC offers, Pac-12 offers. I mean, he is a stud. But here's a coach who's winning state championships who's never really been about hyping his players up. And I'm like, coach, dude, you got like a gold mine here. Right. Can you please share some of these players? Like, all right, yeah, you know, you should probably interview him. He might be might be worth talking to him. Like, might be worth talking to you. Mm-hmm. So it, it's funny to see that there's some coaches that have the dudes, and they're like, I mean, yeah, he, I guess he's okay. But when you're used to seeing 20 other guys be stars, maybe even then it becomes hard to say, well, I mean, you know, we, we've got, they're all good in my eyes. Yeah. That's where you do such a great thing for, for the game of football and especially for the state of Washington, that, that you're, you're probing for 11 through 15. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think a lot of guys in your field may just be happy to 
to copy and paste the same editorial on the top 10 and mail it in. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting game that you're in. I mean, you, you've got to be like extremely pragmatic with, with parents, coaches, players at, at all levels. Um, you have to sort of uh, go with your gut in, in you know, some instances where conventional wisdom says, hey, he's the guy, he needs to be ranked here. And, and some NFL, you know, dad is, is putting pressure on that. It, it's, it's interesting. You, you live in a really dynamic space. Yeah, you know, and, and I'll close with this last story because this is like still my pride and joy. And I got to come up with a new one because I'm been writing this one, writing the coattails of this one for 12 years now, almost 14 years, but 12 years since he graduated. But I remember going to the, the Washington 3A state championship in 2005. And it was Jake Locker's final high school game. They mm-hmm. had come up short against Bellevue the year before in the state championship. But there is no doubt, Ferndale was winning it this year. Oh, so epic. Yep. And, and, I mean, he just was a dude. And, I mean, I still to this day, I've said it for 14 years, I mean, he was John Lynch to me. Yeah, like, yeah. He would be still playing in the NFL as a safety. I, I know I read the article about him a couple of years ago on SI, but I think if he had played safety, he'd still be playing in the league. Mm-hmm. That's how good of, a, of an athlete he was. But all the talk was about Jake Locker, and I'm watching this little undersized lefty from Prosser, and he's going through his reads quicker than I've ever seen a quarterback go. And he's in his fifth read before he gets to the fifth step right. in his draw. And I remember saying to myself, this kid in the right system is going to be really good in college. I don't know what his NFL thing. I'm not worried about the NFL. Right. And that's one of the differences, you know, with the evaluation is that I'm more worried about what they're doing in college. And, and I'm having to change more because – we're becoming more NFL centric, right? But I'm watching this kid, and the next spring, you know, he commits to Boise State, and this mm-hmm. new head coach named Chris Peterson, who'd been the OC at Boise State, and he picked Boise State over Eastern Washington. I'm like, I'm, I'm sticking to my gut. This kid's gonna be good. So I made Kellen Moore a four star. He leaves college as the winningest quarterback in college football history. Two different years, he had a chance to have Boise State. Boise State. Potentially playing for a national championship. Yeah. Well, and and probably should have. And, I mean, a couple of tough kicks. There was a couple of tough kicks. PATs that <laughs> just uh, poor Chris Peterson. No matter where he's been, Oregon this year, yep. kickers have have lost him some key it's games. Tough. But you know, it was one of those where like I just went with my gut because your eyes, if you're looking at the eyes, the five eleven lefty, right? Who, and then you have a six three, six four super athlete. I'm like, man, I think the best quarterback in this game is Kellen Moore. Yeah. And it's just one of those where like everybody goes to that game saying this is Kellen or this is Jake Locker's game, this is his crown jewel, this is the last we're gonna see. And I walked out of the Tacoma Dome going, Man, Kellen Moore was fun to watch. Yeah. And you just you, you can't always look at the obvious one. You gotta look for the the unobvious ones. Nobody, you know, makes a big deal when you know you, you draft Ken Griffey Jr. and you're the scout that finds Ken Griffey Jr. because yeah. he's the number one pick. We all know about him, right? But the guy who finds Albert Pujols in the 60th round or whatever it is, he's the one that everybody's like, "Man, how did you find him?" And you know, why'd you find? Him? Well, I wasn't looking for the Ken Griffey. I was looking for an Albert Pujols type. And, yep. You know, yeah. More often than not, I'm going to go to an Eastside game, and my eyes naturally are going to go to a JT or a G. Or a Sam or an Aiden, but in the course of a game, you can't help but notice D'Angelo is right. continually kicking the butt of the DN lined up across with him. Yeah, tackle, and 
you know, that's why I loved it. You know, at the game when you guys played Rainier Beach this year, ASU comes look at the obvious, but they see Jernias yeah. beating the crap out of the right. D lineman he's going to. He right. gets an offer from ASU the next right. day. Right, right. And well, and I think Delo did a pretty good job against Kayvon Tuber. Absolutely. I mean, and it's like there's not a lot of guys that can put that on their resume that you know. No. So yeah, Delo's a stud, and yeah, we we definitely have a lot of talent in East Tech Athletic. You need to go oh, meet yeah. your wife for lunch. Yeah, we got a um, jam. Do appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. I'm so always impressed by your wealth of knowledge, man. He bring out the he brought out the best in you, man. With the PATs at the the. I got yeah, I got a, I got a few memories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> brought out your inner Alexa. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're out. All right, dude, you're a good man. It, that was Thanks awesome, bro. Dude, that was that was fun.